Hey! Yo! All right. All right. Hey, uh, this is our last time hanging out together. But I, I know, I know. But the good news is, is, um, hey, so this is, obviously, I feel like anytime I kind of share my story and uh, you guys respond with the respect and the consideration you have, even the questions that y'all have been asking and the times that we get to interface when we're out in the meadow, the ways you guys have like taken care of and played with my kids. Um, I think you've also met, I'm actually engaged. Her name is Carolyn. She's the one who's been traveling around with me all week. She's the best. So um, we're kind of excited to kind of be in this cool season that feels a little bit more like redemption than this last season of our life has, and so we're grateful for all, for all those things. But you've treated us with such respect, and so I just want to say thank you. Tonight we're going to end uh, by looking at Daniel chapter 9, and then kind of asking this question, which is, uh, a lot of you this week have made a lot of big decisions. And for some of you, it's the biggest decision the human mind can make. You've made the decision to follow Jesus. You might get married someday, you might choose how many kids you're going to have, you might choose what job you're going to have, you might choose where you're going to live. All of them, comparatively, are miniature in comparison to the decision of whether or not you follow Jesus. Because while your marriage might last for 50 years, and you might be a parent for 60 years, and you might live in a location for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you might have a job where you retire at the age of 70, so you work that job for 50 years. The idea and the decision to follow Jesus is one that when every one of those other titles and decisions ends... Your decision to follow Jesus will carry on for an infinite amount of time into the future. Compared to the 80 trillion years plus that you're going to be in heaven, what you did and what you decided to do as an occupation literally means nothing. Who you decided to marry literally means nothing. Now, these have important implications on how we finish this race in Christ, and that's what we're going to talk about today, but you've made a big decision. Now, if you made a big decision in your life to be a marathon runner— uh, which is a really big thing to do. Or if you made a decision in your life to be an Olympic athlete, if you made a decision in your life to be something that your natural, that, that you by nature can't do easily, you and I would both recognize there'd be sacrifice involved, right? If you right now legitimately thought, I want to be an Olympic marathon runner, and you make a decision that big, which comparatively is teeny tiny compared to following Jesus, Right now, you could make every big decision on planet Earth, but compared to following Jesus, it would be a miniature decision. You could overnight decide, I'm never going to eat any food except for spinach for the rest of my life, and I'm going to be an Olympic uh, marathon runner, and I'm going to learn to be a pilot and a doctor and all this. And you might decide all these things that require so much discipline to maintain and to become, and it would still fall infinitely short of what it means to finish this race in Christ. That the decisions that you made, perhaps this week, or maybe for some of you, you've been following Jesus for a while, but this week there was a turning point where you said, instead of this just being what I do on a Sunday morning, I want this to actually be who I am, right? You've been faking it for a long time, you pretend that you follow Jesus, you put on a great show at church, but when we look behind the curtain of your life, when you peer behind the own curtain of your heart, you recognize there's no such thing as you following Jesus in your real life. And so you've made these decisions. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going. I don't want to fake it anymore. I, don't, I, 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 want to, I want to follow him, and I want to do it really. I don't want to just be a Sunday morning, look how great I am Christian. I want to actually know Jesus and have him know me. 
If that decision, if a decision as simple as being a marathon runner or being an Olympic wrestler or maybe you want to make the NBA someday, I don't know what it is. Regardless, those are all things that require great discipline. And no one here, and I repeat, no one, if you decided today that you were going to make it into whatever the Olympics is in, I don't know, eight years or whatever it is, the 20, I don't know, who cares, doesn't matter, 20, let's say 2030 Olympics, Let's say you genuinely try to convince everyone in your circle that you were going to make a decision so small compared to Jesus, but a big one for humans, that you were going to make it in the 2030 Olympics as a marathon runner. And then you said, you guys should really take this seriously for me, okay? I genuinely think this is what I'm going to set my life to. And imagine then you made that decision up here at Hume Lake and then you went home and you ate what you used to eat, you worked out like you used to work out, you played as many video games as you did before, you kept the exact same company, the exact same schedule, you didn't wake up any earlier, you didn't go to bed any later, you didn't run any more than you used to. Would anyone who sees a decision even that small but big for humans take you seriously that you genuinely want to become an Olympic marathon runner? No, because we recognize that when we make big changes in our life, one of the key aspects of a big change in your life is it's going to cause you to cut out a lot of things, right? That's why when you get married, uh, I've done, I don't know, 40 marriages in my life. And one of the most important parts of the marriage is when you say, do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband to have and to hold in sickness and in health? And then I say the phrase, forsaking all others. If you want to be a good husband and you think you show up at the altar and you say, I do, and then you go back to your mama's house and live the exact same way you did before and you don't sacrifice and you don't help her and you don't take care of her and you don't provide, do you really think that you're going to do marriage well? No, we wouldn't take anyone seriously who says, I do, but then their life says, I don't. We would never take a woman seriously who stands at the altar and says, yes, you are the most important person in my life now. I'm just not going to see you anymore. I'm not going to hang out with you. And we're going to have a discussion one hour a week unless I'm at a soccer tournament. Then it's not even going to be there. No one would take you seriously. And for whatever reason, a lot of us believe in our hearts that you can make a decision as grandiose and eternal and huge as I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm going to go back home and everything in my life, I'm going to do it exactly as I did before I was a Christ follower. Friend, I'm here to let you know that is foolish. It doesn't work. When you decide to do something that requires discipline, and here's what the Bible talks about. This is something you must understand. How expensive was it for you to receive God's free gift of salvation? It's free. It's in the word. It is grace. It's God's unmerited favor. It's this Greek word charis, which means there's nothing you did to earn it. Salvation is free. It's free. It costs you nothing. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he is Lord and that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. We learned about that last night. Now, here's the next part of following Jesus. That is the moment that you give your life to him. Now, if I asked you how expensive is discipleship, which means the process by which we become more like Christ in our life, and on the last day, we are still following Jesus, that process will cost you everything. When Jesus says, if any of you want to truly be my disciples, not just have a little flash in the pan moment where you raise your hand and go, I'm in, great. But if you don't change things to keep that going and to continue to follow Jesus, that's what the word disciple means. It's mathetas in the Greek, to be a follower of Christ. 
When the Bible talks about it, Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross. A cross is a device of execution. So if you want to follow me, you must no longer indulge yourself. You must be ready to die on account of me, and then you'll be prepared to follow me. When Paul talks about finishing the race in Christ, if you don't want this week to be this flash in a pan, Katy Perry firework moment, baby, you're a fire. That was your whole belief system, right? For, for a lot of you, that will be the extent of your spiritual life. It will be five days long, and it will be here at Meadow Ranch. So when you get home, you think you can go back into Babylon, back into the schemes and the strategies of Babylon, and change nothing about what has happened up here, and that everything is going to be peachy, peachy keen. It just won't. It's not going to work. You will find yourself eaten by the beast that is Babylon. If you don't understand that to finish the race in Christ, although the conversion and his gift was free, for you to maintain this while Babylon's trying to eat you alive, you have to change things about your life. There are a few deceptions that I want you to be aware of as we wrap up then and as we head down the hill to say, look, I was in youth ministry for 11 years. And honestly, now I'm a senior pastor at a church in San Diego called College Avenue Church. And I'll tell you what, it, <laughs> sometimes I wonder if there should even be such thing as a senior pastor. I feel like youth pastors, it, this is what's most important, right? Like your age, 85% of everyone who makes a profession of faith in Christ does so before the age of 18. And 80% of those do so before the age of 14, which means you are actually the age group that I think the whole church should be focusing on to help you understand who Christ is. So the notion that you are the future of the church is the dumbest idea ever. You're not the future of the church. You are the current church. And I can teach 50 messages every weekend to all of the people that are your parents' age. And every once in a while, someone gives their life to Christ. But this is where the front lines of the future of the church are. We are, this is the battleground right here. And you need to take that mantle of responsibility on yourself now that it is on you. It's not your parents' faith anymore. It's not your church's faith anymore. It's not your school's faith anymore. If you go to a Christian school, it's on you. It is now something that you have to adopt and say, is this going to be who I am or was this just always what my family was? And if you want to take it seriously, as a youth pastor for a long time, I can tell you, I watch students come to camp all the time, right? We did like a houseboating camp. We came up to Hume Lake. We did all those things. I made a decision to follow Christ when I was 11 years old sitting right here at Hume Lake. And the reason that I'm still following Jesus is not because it didn't come with pain or situations that were confusing to me or that I had my doubts throughout those seasons, but it was that God was faithful in all those moments. And, but here's what I want to tell you. After doing youth ministry for so long, and your youth pastors can tell you the same thing, if I had to boil down the three most common reasons that you're gonna get picked off by Babylon when you get down this hill, I wanna give them to you tonight. The three most common reasons that you're gonna finish this week, go down the hill, and then you're gonna get eaten alive by Babylon is because you're gonna be deceived by one of these three things. So I want you to write these things down, mainly so that you can be aware of them. The most dangerous, the person who's in the most danger in any battle is the one who's unaware that they're in a war. 
If you know that the, the, the flaming arrows are coming, you can duck down. You can hide. You can protect yourself. You can raise your shield. If you're walking in no man's land, in the spot between the two trenches in World War II, where bullets are flying everywhere, eating a little bit of ice cream, you're dead. So if you get down from this mountain, having made a big profession of faith in Christ, and think that you don't have a target on your back now from the, the, the devil, and from Satan, and from your own flesh, and from Babylon, you're crazy. Everyone's coming for you. So you need to be aware of that. As any Christian in this room who's already lived in Babylon as a Christian can tell you, Babylon is not friendly to us. Babylon don't like you. They don't like what you think. They don't like what you stand for. They don't like how you talk. They don't like that you believe that there is one truth. They don't like any of it. So how do you maintain your faith inside of Babylon? Daniel finishes in Daniel chapter nine by praying this prayer, right? And I just wanna really touch on a few verses here as we enter into this conversation. Verse 17 of chapter nine says this. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant for your sake, Lord. Look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen, Lord, forgive, Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. What's he saying here? He, the future of Israel, after God saves them from the fiery furnace, and he saves Daniel from the lion's den, and after, uh, after the, the movement of Belshazzar to believe in God, and Nebuchadnezzar to turn from his old evil ways, guess what Israel does? The same junk they do every time. They turn back to foreign gods. And so Daniel has this prayer, and he says, Lord, we're going to keep biffing it. We're gonna keep messing up, but would you be faithful because we still bear your covenant, covenant name? So here's the things I wanna end with. I wanna give you these three things as we wrap up this week. These, this is just me, it's, <laughs> it's a little bit prophetic, not that I have any gift of prophecy, but because I've seen it so many thousands of times that it almost seems prophetic that this is one of the three things that are going to happen to the majority of you who fall away from faith after you get down this mountain. It's gonna be for one of these three reasons. And if you're aware of them and you recognize them, you're a lot less likely to be deceived by them. If you know it's coming, then you can label it, recognize it, and avoid it. But if you don't know it, you're gonna find yourself in the middle of it and then it's gonna take you down. The first one is this. All of these I'm gonna start with the phrase, do not be deceived. The Bible loves this phrase, do not be deceived. Now, the reason the Bible says do not be deceived is because we are prone to deception. We, in and of ourselves, are likely to believe lies. So the Bible uses this phrase a lot, and we're gonna use it here in this context. Number one is this. It's directly from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Number one, the thing that's gonna take you away from, from Christ after a, a big decision requires big changes. Number one, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. And this is really hard to hear, but I want you to hear me correctly. If you go home and every influence on you, spiritually speaking, or on your personality is Babylonian, if every friend group you have is not for Christ but against him, if every friend group you have are actively participating in things that you know to be sinful, gossip, chemical addiction, chemical dependency, drugs, alcohol, bullying, 
sexual sin, if the, if the friends groups you hang out with are doing all of those things and you think you're going to go home and because you had a really cool week at Hume Lake, you're going to convince them all to stop, uh, the, the Bible seems to indicate, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. It doesn't say, do not be deceived. Good company changes bad character. That's not what it says. The bad company corrupts the good character. The good character doesn't change all the bad company. Can you have people in your life that you witness and tell the gospel to and show them the way of Jesus against the Babylonian kingdom? You better believe it. But if the major influences in your life, the places that you turn to deal with the hard things of life, if your true friends groups where they get to tell you what you're worth and what your value is and what they prize and what they cherish, if all of those are Babylonian, they're gonna slowly drip into you the old Babylonian ways until it, to- it pulls you back away. You need to have a Christian community who thinks like Christ does, who believes what the Bible says, who can encourage you in your new identity. And for a lot of you, that means finding a mentor figure in your life. I have like 72 mentor figures in my life and I'm 34 years old and I've got five kids and I still regularly and almost daily meet with, text with, and call with people that are older than me who have lived faith longer than I have who help me learn how to navigate Babylon. And I know the Bible really well. I teach the Bible. I'm a professor of seminary classes and I need someone in my life to help me because I am easily deceived. We all do. Get involved with that. Find someone who will do that for you. That's number one. Number one, bad company corrupts good character. For some of you, if you wanted to be a marathon runner and you went back home and all your friends are really lazy, you would recognize you would need to get with a group that was more willing to push you towards running and towards exercising than the one that you have. In the same way, if you want to keep spiritually fit, You cannot find a group of spiritual lackadaisical people that are gonna drag you down. You need to find people who are chasing the cross of Christ, who are pursuing him. Then you're gonna find yourself among equals, equally yoked. That's what the Bible talks about. Number two, do not be deceived. You can't do this alone. Again, our culture is an individualistic culture. And so every Disney movie that you've seen in the past 30 years is pushing this agenda on you. Because the previous idea of culture in America was you do whatever your parents think is best for you. You take on the family trade. This is a very Eastern traditional way of seeing your life too. That if your parents were happy with you, if you stuck to the status quo, then you would be, you would be well praised. And that's what your whole life is. So what does every Disney movie now tell you? It's trying to... It, every Disney movie is now Babylon. It's dripping in Babylonian themes to you, right? Well, if your school thinks you should be this, be the opposite, right? It's high school musical. You're a basketball player. No, not anymore. You're a baker, right? It's be your own person. Be individualistically you. You are the king of your own destiny. Go find it. Go chase it. Go whatever. And in some sense, great, right? If you play basketball and you want to bake, go bake. Who cares? That's not what I'm talking about. But what culture wants to tell you is you also get to dictate what's right and what's wrong and what's good and what's bad and what's true and what's false. And if we don't learn to yield those things to the God who made us, we are going to fall victim to Babylon. 
So here's this truth as an individualistic culture. Here's what I hear all the time. I'll ask someone about their relationship with God and they'll say this phrase. Well, I know you think it's a sin, but I prayed about it with God and he's good with it. No, he's not. Well, you don't know. I prayed, right? It's individualism. You don't get it. I prayed and he told me that I'm, no, he did not. Are you telling me that God didn't tell me that me sinning against him is okay between him and I? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. No, God did not say that to you. Nothing, God will never contradict his word for us. Yes, I'm telling you, God did not speak to you and tell you that sin is okay for you and no one else. Yes, I'm telling you that's not the case. And we get so offended. Oh, it's my walk with God and my walk with God is private. It's between me and God. No, it's not. Show me where in scripture it says that your walk with Jesus is private. One place, you can't do it because it's not there. In fact, it says the opposite. If you want to finish the race of life in Christ and not in Babylon, if you want to finish the race in Christ with your identity in Christ, where he takes your place in that divine substitution, rather than going back to your old way of living where you're the king again, then you have to believe this truth that the Bible tells us again and again. You were made to practice your faith in community. No one, the the New Testament would not recognize anyone who said the phrase, well, I believe in Jesus, but I just don't really believe in the church. I'm I'm really into Jesus, but I don't believe in institutionalized religion. It's not a thing. It's not a thing anywhere in the New Testament. If you're a follower, you entered into a community of believers where they could They could spur one another towards love and good deeds. Do you know how many times the New Testament encourages us as Christians to love one another, serve one another, be there for one another, confess our sins to one another? There are over 70 times that the New Testament commands us to one another one another. How could you one another one another if you're all by yourself? It doesn't make any sense. Do not be deceived. This Christian life was not meant to be done on your own. This is what's true. Your relationship with Jesus is personal. It's not private. It's absolutely between you and God. But if you think no one else can look in and talk to you and make corrections in your Christian walk, you haven't read the Bible. It's not how it, it's not how it works. Lastly, don't be deceived. If you don't kill sin, it will kill you. Do not be deceived. If you've got an addiction, if it's what you're clicking on on the internet, if it's, what you're, if it's the gossip that you continue to engage in, if it's a relationship that has gone too far, sexually speaking, and you continue to engage in these things over and over again, and you go back down the mountain, you're gonna find that if you don't get rid of that thing in your life, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a pet. This is what the, the, in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis chapter four, it talks about a man named Cain, and Cain is full of sin, and God warns Cain. He says, sin is crouching at your, the word that he used for crouching at your door is like a lion that's growing and growling, and it, it, it's maturing, and if you don't get a hold of that, one day, it's gonna eat you. If you don't get rid of sin, it's gonna get rid of you. And that's a truth that you have to take with you. Some things in your life, you'll just need to patently get rid of. For some of you, you can't have a smartphone with internet access without engaging in inappropriate online behavior and activity. But some of you will think to yourself, well, it's not that big of a deal. I'll control it, but but you won't. By nature, addictions are things that we keep doing even if they have negative consequences. 
So by definition, if you have an addiction, you will not stop just because it's bad for you because the definition of an addiction is you keep doing it even though it's bad for you. I counsel couples all the time in marriages where one party or the other, not necessarily always male, but also female, they, they, they do not have a control on what they look at on the internet and they're engaging in pornography and things like that and it absolutely ruins their lives and you think to yourself, don't worry, I could stop if I had to. I could control it if I needed to. This is what people say when they're in an addiction. I would stop if I had to. You're too far gone already. You need help. So anything you have in your life that you continue to feed as a sin will grow up and it will eat you. I want to finish all of our time with another deception, but just something that I, I, we had a cool time on Thursday of Q&A and someone asked about homosexuality. And they said, can I be, the, the question was really simply written, and I, I don't want to give a cold answer because I know that a lot of you guys in here may struggle with same-sex sexual attraction. That some of you in here are wrestling with this idea of how could I be a Christian, and yet I don't, when the Bible talks about marriage, it only ever affirms and confirms and permits marriage between a man and a woman, ever. It is all throughout the Old Testament. It's all throughout the New Testament. When God makes man and woman, he makes them gendered, male and female. He doesn't have any kind of scope or sliding scale. It's man and it's woman. And as such, he affirms the goodness of the relationship between the man and the woman. He then in Leviticus forbids a relationship between a man and a man or a relationship between a woman and a woman. He reaffirms that over and over again in the New Testament. In Romans chapter one, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter six, over and over again, the same method is, is played out. And remember, the absolute pinnacle sin of our culture and the God of our culture is gonna be sex. I had enough of you come and say, hold on, I'm kind of confused on this because the question that was asked is, can I be a Christian and still be gay? Listen, don't, you can't zone out because that's what happened last time. If you zone out, you're not gonna hear what I'm saying. Can you be, when we say, can I be gay, what I'm taking that to mean is that you have same-sex attraction, whether you're male or female. If the question is, can I have same-sex attraction and still follow Jesus? Yes, absolutely. I don't think God is ultimately concerned about who you find attractive. Here's what God is concerned with, though. If you find someone of the same, if you're only attracted to people of the same gender, the Bible is very clear that you are in obedience to Christ not to act on that sexually speaking. So yes, you can have same-sex attraction and still follow Jesus. I know people in my life, I probably have a half a dozen people who go to my church, who have lived in my life, who are only attracted to the same sex, and they've now identified that because they're only attracted, they're not gonna marry someone of the opposite gender, but they're also not gonna engage in same-sex sexual relationships because they know that God says that's wrong. So what they do then is they say, I am going to act the same way that a single heterosexual Christian would act. Right now, I'm not married. I'm a single heterosexual Christian. I still have wants and desires, but the Bible has made it really clear, unless I'm in a heterosexual union of marriage, that I am to get rid of that and not indulge it. I am not to give in to those things, even though our culture that puts sex as ultimate, people tell me all the time as a widower, you know what, Chris? I don't think God would really care. I think you can do what you want. You've had a really hard life. I think you should in indulge what you want. But that's what Babylon's gonna tell you. Babylon tells you, you are nothing more than your desires. The Bible says something different. 
you can become master over your desires. So will people with same-sex attraction be in heaven? Yes, those who don't identify themselves as that, as I guess I'm just a gay individual, and that's, your primary identity should be as a, as a child of God, not what gender you find attractive. That's the silliest way to identify yourself ultimately. You're worth a lot more than who you find attractive. And that's why homosexuality can be so destructive in our culture is because it becomes the primary way that we see ourselves and it's not the primary way that God sees you. God doesn't see us through the lens of who we think is cute. He sees us through the lens of his son as his children. So I wanna make that very clear. You can have same-sex sexual attraction your whole life and you can fight with it and wrestle with it and try to put it to death and even have moments where you mess up but you're trying to pursue Jesus in all things. And on that last day, if you've surrendered your life to Christ and found your identity in him, even if you're attracted to the same gender but you've tried to put that to death and not practice same-sex sexual relationships and not engaged in homosexual marriage, you're gonna look at the king and he's gonna say, well done, good and faithful servant. But if you go, you know what? I my man. But conversely, conversely, and this is the part that's more difficult, if you say, you know what, if I was made this way, or even if I was brought up this way, I don't even know what it is, but I am no more than the things that I want. And if God says that I can't do what I want to do with my body whenever I want, then I'm going to live my own way. Well, then you've rejected the grace of Christ and you have rejected lordship. That's what Romans 10 says. You need to submit yourself to his lordship. He is king. You're not king. I know the desire is there. I know that it's weird. And I know that culture is going to applaud every one of you who engages in that activity. Why? Because Babylon does not want you to follow Jesus. But I want you to know, if all of Babylon is clapping versus the God of the universe, if the God of the universe claps for you on your last day, it will be worth an infinite number of years of Babylon throwing all their praise at you. He is the only name that matters. He is the only opinion that matters. And on that last day, even if that means for your 80 years of life, you're not engaged in sexual relationships because you've surrendered that to Jesus, you then trade in this broken body for an infinite one, for an infinite number of years, it will be a price well paid to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. I, I wanna make sure that's clear as we exit this week because that will be one of the number one lies that Babylon throws your way. Having same-sex attraction cancels nothing about God's deep and unending, grace-filled, dying on the cross love for you unless you say, you know what? Instead of being a child of God, I'm gonna identify myself by what I find attractive and I'm gonna do what I want with my body. God, you don't have a say in it, so I'm gonna live how I want to and I forget what your Bible says. That is rejection of who he is. So I wanted to make those things clear as we end up. You're not meant to do this life alone. If you don't kill sin, it's going to kill you. Bad company corrupts good character. And do not be deceived by the lies of this culture, especially when it comes to your sexuality. You are more than what you find attractive. Never denigrate yourself so low as to be found as someone whose main identity is in who you think is cute. That is such an insignificant, inferior way of being found rather than a child of the God of the universe. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we submit all these things to you. And, and I know, even as we're talking about this, there's people in here who just think this is the most radical possible teaching. That anyone or any God would be comfortable saying, you know what? I know that this is the way that you want to live your life, but I'm calling you to something different. Because Babylon tells us that we are nothing more than our appetite. We are nothing more than our desires. And yet, 
It says in the New Testament that when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit because of your grace, we do not receive a spirit of timidity and fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Self-control in all matters. And part of following you is mastering the brokenness of the person that I used to be and not letting that happen anymore. I'm still gonna sin, God, we're all still gonna sin. You know that. And God, thank you for forgiving us as we strive towards following you as the new king of our life. Would you silence the cheers of Babylon and would you increase the sound of your applause in heaven as we try to follow you until that last day? Let me pray, amen.